Welcome to episode 48 of FRT, the IAF podcast on the intersection of finance, regulation and technology. I'm Brad Carr, back home today at the IAF offices in Washington, here with my colleague Daniel Puhathan, and we're talking cloud, specifically our recent IAF paper on cloud and critical infrastructure. Daniel was my co-author on that paper. He also spoke on the panel on cloud at the IAF's digital symposium in May, together with Amazon Web Services, FINRA and the Richmond Fed. Daniel, to start with, let's perhaps recap on the three-part series that the IAF produced on cloud through the latter part of 2018 and early 2019. We started that series looking at the risks and the benefits of cloud, and I think we pretty quickly gravitated a lot of the issues to being about the risks of not moving to cloud. There was both the technical risk that if you don't move to cloud, you need to maintain some of the older legacy infrastructures, the mainframes, the cobalt programming, some of the skill sets that are increasingly scarce to find. But as well as that technical or operational risk, there was the business risk of how do you keep pace in an increasingly digitized environment where customers expect personalization and immediacy, and increasingly you need cloud and advanced analytics to be able to keep up with that. But beyond that story of the the risks of not moving to cloud, there were a number of other key themes through that three-part series. Could I get you to recap on some of the others? Brad, thank you for having me here today. And yes, as you were saying, the most important thing on that probably the key element that we were raising in the paper was about the risk of not moving to cloud. And let me also say that the conversation now with most of the financial institutions and the consensus is is more about how they are going to be moving to cloud as opposed to when or if they are going to be moving to cloud. So this is a statement which is pretty much consensus in the industry on, on that. When uh, we, in the second paper, were uh, more focusing on the barriers that actually uh, you were facing when you were moving to cloud. And in that case, we were finding kind of uh, two different things. One in the side of the regulatory barriers that you may find and some others which are not regulatory barriers. So it is important to say that in the non-regulatory barriers, there are a number of things, most of them related to the culture and related to the talent of the people that you may have in the, in the company. And the culture in in a way of uh, being able to create all the process, all the customer journey as a journey and not as a single decision. So this is one of the important elements of the barriers that are within the industry itself, beyond the pure regulatory barriers. And there's probably another element more thinking about inconsistency from the geographical perspective. And it's about data localization. Uh, Actually, this uh, element is so relevant that we have uh, produced a paper that you can find in our website as well on data localization, which is uh, one of the more relevant elements in terms of uh, being able to unleash all the potential of cloud computing, uh, because these uh, data localization elements may add a lot of uh, restrictions to the use of cloud. So Daniel, once we completed that three-part series in February, we immediately got a lot of questions from from, uh, various regulatory agencies, or in fact, commonly we got the same question from a lot of them which was, you know, should we be thinking about these uh, cloud service providers as critical infrastructures? And indeed, if so, what does that actually look like in practice? Before we delve a little bit further into that, I was wondering if you can perhaps talk a little about the, the concerns specifically that regulators have that are perhaps underpinning that question. First of all, let me tell you that during the process in, from which we produce a third paper on CSPs, on the, let's say, the challenges posing by the relationship between the CSPs and the financial institutions, there were some movements. It happens that we have Robbie Men on the managing director from the Monetary Authority of Singapore already making the statement on regulating or supervising or overseeing the critical cloud services providers as a critical infrastructure. More recently, last April, the European Supervisory Authorities uh, were advocating for an oversight, not full supervision, but oversight of the cloud providers as well. 
And uh, more recently, this summer, the U.S. Congress also made a request to the um, Financial Stability Oversight Council here in the States to supervise the CSPs as a systemically important financial market utility. So, I mean, the thing has been there for a while. It's it's great that you, you bring up the Ravi Menon speech. And I think that was, you know, as it often is with Ravi, a really groundbreaking comment that he made. He, he spoke at the, the annual symposium that the MAs holds with the San Francisco Fed. I think it was in June 2018. And he pretended to be standing in the year 2028 looking back. And as part of that, he cited the, uh, the vision in which there was the creation of a new agency working together with the San Francisco Fed, given the, the West Coast US location of the cloud service providers. And whilst I think in some ways there's probably doubt as to the appetite for creating a whole new regulatory agency in the current climate, it was certainly a groundbreaking vision that Ravi set out. The fact that we got all of these questions in March and April following our February paper, it almost felt a little bit to me like the rest of the, the global community you know, had taken eight or nine months to catch up with Ravi's initial speech. But certainly that did very much come to the fore and, and it was very much a common theme we were getting at that point in, uh, earlier this year. Absolutely. Thinking about the question, I would also like to, we are talking about or we are considering the point of CSPs as critical infrastructures, but there's one fact that we cannot avoid it is that the financial services industry, as basically most of the highly regulated industries has been a bit slow in the adoption of cloud computing compared with others, with retail, with media, with travel telecoms. However, they have started to accelerate and there has been some changes on the CSPs itself providing and developing more programs in order to comply with the regulation and compliance. The vision of the regulators itself has been evolving over time. And now they are looking at cloud computing, not only from the risk perspective, but also from the opportunity perspective. And as well, the strategy of banks that are including cloud computing as part of their broader strategy. So this has been evolving over time, but still we are in a very early stages in the adoption of cloud computing, especially when material function or applications or data are concerned. And this is a statement that is very relevant when we are going to be thinking about considering this as critical. Having said that, what is important for the regulator has been the security and the reliability when the institutions are moving to cloud. In the security side, I would say that it is, it is clear and has been demonstrated by many parties that cloud computing could be equally or even more secure than any on-premise architecture. So this is something that probably was a break at the very beginning. Now it is something that is completely in line with what they have in mind at the beginning. If we think about reliability, it's uh, one of the second points. And here we are talking about more probably the stability of the market and the stability of the financial system itself. And here is where, for example, the concentration issue because of the three or four players are concentrating the majority of the market share in the cloud computing services. It is very relevant or the vendor lock-in as a possibility of being locked in with one specific vendor as opposed to being able to move from one to another in case of uh, you have any disruption in, in the service. So conversations and probably the concerns are more in the reliability side of the cloud computing than in the security side. I think that's a really good uh, bit of background. And, and I think as we then turn to our most recent paper, but I think we do need to bear in mind the point you make there, Danielle, that we are still at a very or a relatively early stage of adoption in what is a very tightly regulated industry, as opposed to what's happened uh, in other sectors. I think to be encouraged that regulators are being forward-looking and looking at these questions, but we do need to keep that relatively infant stage uh, piece as a, a bit of important context. But in our most recent paper then, so we've tried to address the, the question that regulators have posed, what would critical infrastructure treatment actually look like? And in particular, we, we went through a couple of, of models of that and looked at some of the pros and cons of, of each. 
Danielle, could you give us a bit of a flavour or some of the key attributes across those uh, those alternate models? There was probably one previous considerations, and we need to understand that because of the characteristics of the CSPs, there are some questions uh, which uh, has special relevance before going to the models. Specific characteristics, probably the two main, are that the CSPs are providing services that are global in nature. This is very relevant. And the other one is that they are providing services to financial institutions, but also to other sectors. This is, again, very, very relevant. And this is when, for example, a number of questions came into the previous analysis. Uh, for example, if you are talking about these CSPs becoming critical infrastructure, that criticality assessment uh, should be done sector by sector or for all sectors, or if that criticality uh, should be done at local, regional, or, or global level, what would be the basis for uh, the criticality assessment? If it would be quantitative values or some qualitative approach when there is a single column failure, or if the CSP should be considered equally treated or differently across a series of tiers according to its relevance to the financial system. And finally, for example, who will be responsible for designating and overseeing these uh, institutions, the, the FSB or another cross-sectorial uh, global institution. So uh, having all those considerations in mind, we were foreseeing two different models. One as a financial market infrastructure and one as a critical uh, strategic infrastructure. Let me say that in order to define what means in our paper, financial market infrastructure, we were taking the definition from the BIS and IOSCO that they were making on financial market infrastructures. And when critical infrastructure, we related to what is being done in the UK with the treasury. Just to have a clear distinction and definition on these two elements. If we go to the models and we think about the uh, financial market infrastructure, it is clear that there's some commonalities between the CSPs and the financial market infrastructure as they are providing critical services to the financial institutions. But there's still a number of relevant differences in terms of ownership and structure. For example, typically the uh, CSPs are private companies while the FMIs are owned by the banks or even by central banks. So there's a wide difference on that side. Also, in terms of the type of service that they are providing, typically the FMIs are providing services that are kind of the same product for everyone, very streamlined and very clear product. In the case of the CSPs, they are providing products that are really customizable for the different customers and providers. And finally, there's also differences in terms of liabilities. And because of the ownership of the FMI versus the private ownership of the CSPs, the liabilities in case of any issue is, uh, again, completely different. The differences uh, and the fact that the CSPs are operating with other sectors makes uh, that from the regulatory perspective would make sense, for example, a, a kind of a approach uh, just bring fencing the part of the activity that the CSPs are dealing with the financial sector. This uh, situation, for example, would be something uh, relevant from the regulatory perspective, probably could be providing some comfort in an environment which would be tested and controlled. But we have to say that that green fencing from the CSP architecture is not very feasible. And in addition to that, there's a number of issues and, and, and drawbacks that we should be considering in this model. For example, which CSPs would be considered all the activities in the financial services space or just those which are uh, with a given concentration uh, on the financial services uh, provision? So who would be making that designation? Again, this is a, a very relevant question in all the different models. Um, who this model, this is again a very relevant point because probably this model could be creating some sort of additional concentration in the market. As I was saying, concentration is one of the main concerns, but probably as long as you are ring fencing some activity, probably you are creating some entry barriers for other players 
and you are creating some concentration because there are going to be less players providing the service to financial services institutions. So again, there's a number of things here that you need to consider. Clearly, we have here an example that we have showcased in the paper, and you can look at that. And it's about the German cloud case study, where basically what it says is, is that ring fencing the activity, in this case, to a financial service institution within a, a given jurisdiction. At the end of the day, they discontinued the service because of the prices they were able to provide, which were worse than the general services provided by, in this case, Microsoft. And secondly, because of the type of services that they were providing that were not meeting the customer needs. In the case of the financial market infrastructure, if we move to the next uh, model, to critical uh, strategic infrastructure, the model again poses an, a number of, of, of questions. For example, designation should be done at local, regional, uh, or a global level. In addition to that, the CSP provide the service to uh, more than one sector. In this case, they could be designated as critical for more than one sector, and this would create some issues in, in terms of who would be designating and uh, who would be supervising that specific uh, CSP. And from the geographical perspective, we may find even the situation where a non-US jurisdiction may be trying to regulate a US CSP. Uh, as I was saying, there's a big, huge concentration on providers and three, four providers, and all of them are uh, US-based. So you may have one non-US jurisdiction saying that this is a critical infrastructure and trying to regulate a US CSP, which they are designated as uh, CSPs in that specific. So that could be some extraterritoriality that probably adds some complexity to, to everything. So in this model, uh, an international coordination together with a cross-sectorial view would be very much needed. It's a difficult piece to, to confront. And I think the point you make around the, the FMI model, a la a CCP, firstly, you know, it's analogous in some ways in terms of the, I guess, the concentration of risk across the sector in a single site. But as you explain, that, that analogy kind of breaks down a little when you look at both not only the ownership structure but also the kind of risk that you're actually concerned about. And a lot of the way that we've, we've dealt to CCPs, I think, is aimed more at solvency risk, whereas really here, the concern, I think, is more around a, a technical failure, an event that would cause a, a failure and a downtime across the whole industry. I also think it's important, and I want to pick up on the point you emphasised here, Danielle, about the concentration and the barriers to entry. You know, we sometimes perhaps conflate concentration and resiliency that I think are, are two separate questions or separate issues of concern here. The notion that, that perhaps starts from, are we concerned that if there's three large providers and one of them goes down, that it takes a third of the banking industry down with it? Well, in some ways, that's a concentration question, but it might also be a resiliency question that can be better addressed through other means, uh, including through portability, which we'll come to. But I, I want to emphasise that point about the barriers to entry. And I think if you were to have the existing three large providers, where you do have other providers in other sectors, but really just these three providers currently in financial services... One of the things we'd most like to see would be other players like Oracle or Apple or IBM to enter the market and grow that competition within the sector. And it may well be that if the three existing incumbents instead, AWS, Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud, are all designated as critical, the effect may well be to essentially entrench their position within the market. I think it would be a fairly brave risk manager within a bank that chose to outsource a significant chunk of their, their data stores to somebody that was not one of the three that was designated and, and monitored as such. So I think that's a really important point to, to be, be cognizant of. Perhaps if we can pick up the some of the other additional developments, and we've each already alluded to, to portability there as, as one area, but in our paper, we've touched on some of these other new developments or other solutions, portability being one very interesting area where containering technology, I think, has come a long way in a very short period. 
But Daniel, what can you tell us about some of these other developments besides simply the, the designation of the CSPs to help address either these concentration or resiliency questions? Yes, I would say there are a couple of uh, considerations. One is related to the strategy of the financial institutions when they are facing the cloud journey. Uh, this is uh, important because obviously this is, uh, as I was mentioning, this is a journey. This is not a, a one-off decision. And this is, uh, has to be a great commitment from the uh, organization. In terms of how they are deploying this cloud journey, it's time more uh, institutions are thinking about a multi-vendor and multi-cloud and hybrid strategies so that they are able exactly what you were mentioning, thinking about the portability and about the resiliency. So to ensure that they don't have all the eggs in the same basket and try to ensure that they have different providers with two different benefits, with the benefit of having that resiliency in a way that they have different things in different providers and uh, in a way to get out the most of the products of the different providers, because typically each provider do not have exactly the same, the same products. In the case of the hybrid strategy, it is probably pretty much derived from the risk-based approach that the banks and the financial institutions are making to the cloud. So that in many cases, they are still keeping their core banking activities within the on-premise architecture and then moving to cloud the more collateral applications, data, and activities. Uh, so this, uh, in this case, that multi-vendor, multi-cloud hybrid strategies are pretty much related to the possibility or the perception of uh, mitigating the concentration and the locking uh, effects. From the uh, industry perspective, if we think about what you were mentioning about the uh, recent technology uh, developments that have been coming into the market recently, there's uh, everything related to containerization and everything related to that uh, portability uh, thing is absolutely critical. And uh, we have cases of uh, the creation of uh, abstraction layers that allow you to write the application in one specific place and being able to deploy that application in any uh, single environment, whether it is uh, one public cloud, another public cloud from another provider, or even uh, on-premise. We have here, for example, the case of uh, Google Anthos. It is uh, very relevant because we are even going to try to have the, the guys from Google Anthos just explaining a bit more about this specific topic. But the possibility of having this uh, abstraction layer in the middle that allows you to move applications and, and data from one place uh, to another is a very attractive concept. It is also very uh, relevant to highlight that moving and shifting information and, and data from one place to another, one dimension to another, is not simple. I mean, we don't want to uh, make the point that this is uh, easy and simple. This is not like that. But what we are saying is that new applications and new uh, technology developments are helping in that process that is going to be helping to extend, to reduce the perception of concentration in the, in the market and definitely to help or to mitigate the locking effect with vendors. So there's a lot more to come in this space. We understand that a lot of regulators are looking at this critical infrastructure designation issue at the moment. Indeed, that it's a space that the European Central Bank is, is one that uh, we understand has a, a paper on this subject due in the near term. Portability and containering that, that we've touched on there, Daniel, you know, I think this is an area that continues to evolve and progress rapidly. And the CSPs really, I think, are making a, a deliberate effort to demonstrate the improvements they have in resiliency solutions. Where you mentioned Google Anthos there, and we have a short case study on Google Anthos contained in our paper, but we are also looking forward to having Google Cloud come on FRT with us on a future episode and describe that further. In terms of one of our next steps at the IF, one thing we proposed in our paper 
is to convene a workshop together with the CSPs and also with regulators, together with the banking and insurance industries, and to discuss the particular types of concentrations that might be of a concern and the appropriate metrics for that. Just to throw out one very crude example, the concentration that we might be worried about if three banks move 70% of their data to Amazon Web Services is probably a different concern to if 50 banks each move 10% of their data to Amazon Web Services. Those are possibly each issues, possibly each things that regulators would be concerned about, but I'm not sure that, that we or anybody else really understand quite the complexities of either of those scenarios, and it's something that we look forward to convening this workshop to explore those scenarios and also to work on developing the metrics for how a, a data-driven assessment can really work. Also, I think we should mention, uh, Danielle, one of the, the other solutions perhaps or developments that, that we touched on in the paper is the way in which banks assess their own uh, critical dependencies and reliances. It's a little bit like the single large exposure framework that gets used in credit risk. And whilst I don't think there's necessarily a fit for a, a very constrained one-size-fits-all model, perhaps like the SLE formula, it's certainly something we'd expect banks are as part of the strategy that you alluded to going through the process of making that assessment and something that supervisors would be, be testing the validity of that assessment. So, Danielle, thank you for joining me today on FRT. And we should also thank our, our other former colleague, Jaime Vaquez, our, our co-author on our three-part series. Uh, Jaime was a secondee to us here at the IAF. He's since returned to BBVA and he's now their head of European affairs based in Brussels. But a shout out to Jaime for the great contribution he's made alongside Danielle in our, our cloud work here. Looking ahead on FRT in the coming weeks, we've mentioned Google Anthos, that fascinating case study, and we'll be looking at that further together with Google Cloud. Our CEO, Tim Adams, and I will be speaking with FDIC Chair Elena McWilliams and Hugh Van Steenis, formerly of the Bank of England and now in his new capacity heading up investor relations at UBS. But in reference to the future of finance report that he delivered for the Bank of England in June, he'll be speaking at the IAF's annual membership meeting in October here in Washington. He'll be joining me on FRT to debrief that report. Please tune in again for those upcoming episodes via the IAF website and on all podcast apps. I'm Brad Carr and thanks for joining us on FRT.